Hello and welcome to Misty 101 podcast. Alarm as petrol stations begin rationing fuel. Motorists were warned on Thursday night of shortages at fuel for courts as BP announced it was closing pumps and rationing petrol and diesel because of a lack of lorry drivers. BP said it was cutting deliveries at 90% of its petrol stations in an attempt to ration the fuel it has in reserve. ExxonMobil, the oil firm behind Esso, said that four courts it operates at some Tesco supermarkets had also been affected. The Petrol Retailers Association, PIA, warned that drivers should keep a quarter of a tank of fuel in their car in case their usual station ran out. The announcements were followed by calls from MPs and industry leaders for the Home Office to allow HGV drivers from abroad to be given fast-track visas to alleviate the shortage. Downing Street stressed that the disruption was related to driver shortages rather than a lack of fuel supplies. The Prime Minister's spokesman said, There is no shortage of fuel in the UK and people should continue to buy fuel as normal. We obviously recognise the challenges faced by the industry and are taking steps to support them. It comes amid warnings that Britain is facing a winter of discontent. Supermarkets have also warned of shortages of food in the run-up to Christmas as they too struggle with the lorry driver shortages. There are warnings that bills could rise for more than a million families as energy firms collapse owing to rising wholesale gas prices. The end of the universal credit uplift and rising inflation are also set to cause problems for families later this year. Gordon Barmer, executive director of the PIA, suggested drivers should keep a quarter of a tank of fuel in their cars, and a former Tory minister warned that urgent action was needed to prevent lengthy queues outside petrol stations. The government is working closely with Ofgem, the industry regulator as officials brace for further providers to go bust. Six companies have failed this month, impacting around 1.5 million customers. Meanwhile, the Bank of England warned that price inflation will remain high until the middle of next year at least. Officials said inflation would rise above 4%, double the bank's target rate raising expectations that interest rate increases will be needed to control the economy. A government source said, We are worried about the collision of a winter of discontent Christmas ruined by universal credit, higher energy bills, and shortages some linked to Covid, some linked to Brexit, and some completely random. Britain faces an estimated shortfall of more than 100,000 lorry drivers as the economy reopens and supply chains are thrown into chaos. Industry leaders have repeatedly called for fast-track visas for hauliers in Europe so the industry can get more workers. They were joined yesterday by backbench MPs, including Brexiteers, who urged ministers to bring in drivers from the continent and consider calling in the army. Ministers have committed to tackle a backlog of about 50,000 HGV driving tests caused by the pandemic. They have reportedly discussed deploying soldiers to drive petrol tankers if the situation rapidly deteriorates. Alex Veitch, of Logistics UK, said, Our own modelling work shows that thanks to the changes we should get through the backlog next spring. But that does leave us in a pickle until then. The tricky bit is getting through Christmas and into next year because the measures are not helping enough in the very short term. Gerald Ronson, who owns 275 Rontic forecourts operated under brands such as BP, Shell and Texcal, said the disruption at fuel stations would likely last for more than a month. They need to resolve the problem. But it is going to take, most probably, six weeks for everything to get back to normality. There is going to be this inconvenience of sites that will be out of fuel he said. Darren Briggs Managing director of Ascona, which runs 59 sites, said demand for fuel had risen in September, catching operators by surprise. Mr. Ronson said, with everybody coming back to work more cars on the road because people don't want to use buses or trains this has drained out a lot of the fuel. However, a home office source said, 
The real problem is if you say let's open up to HGV drivers and put them on the shortage occupation list, there's a 17% shortfall in Europe, so where are they going to come from? Germany and Poland have worse estimated shortages than here in the UK, and they've got freedom of movement. It's not a quick fix. Every industry under the sun thinks that immigration is the answer to the problem. They've been saying that for the last four years. But pressure for action is growing. One former minister, who voted for Brexit, said, if we are building the whole of our immigration system on filling shortages, what is the downside to offering the opportunities to those who can fill them? We have taken back control and we can decide whether to bring people in or not. Robert Halfon, a Tory MP, added, if there are shortages, the government will have to look at bringing in emergency services. Sign up to the misty101.com for free, no purchase necessary and get notification of special offers discounts as they become available. Former Catalan independence leader Carles Puigdemont arrested in Italy. Former Catalan leader Carles Puigdemont who is accused of helping to organize an illegal independence referendum in Spain, has been detained in Italy. Mr. Puigdemont's lawyer Gonzalo Boy said the ex-Catalan regional president was being held on a European arrest warrant issued by Spain in 2019. The former Catalan leader's office said he had traveled from Brussels to Alghero, northwest Sardinia to attend the Adifolk International Folklore Festival when he was arrested on Thursday afternoon. He was also due to meet with the regional head of Sardinia and its ombudsman. Mr Puigdemont was then transferred to a jail in Sasseri, a city about a 25-mile drive northeast of Alghero, the Italian news agency ANSA reported. Earlier reports said a judge in Sasseri would rule on Friday on whether Mr Puigdemont should be freed. Sardinian media reported earlier in the week he was due to attend an event in Alghero on Sunday, so his presence on the Mediterranean island was expected. It was also reported that Mr Puigdemont had been invited by a Sardinian pro-separatist group. Protesters have been demonstrating outside Italy's consulate in Barcelona following Mr Puigdemont's arrest. Police officers were seen keeping the demonstrators behind a cordon in the city which is the capital of Catalonia. Protesters also applauded Jordi Turul, a former member of parliament in Catalonia, when he arrived at the protest on Friday morning. Mr Puigdemont had been wanted by police for his role in a failed secession bid for the northeastern Spanish region of Catalonia in 2017. The 58-year-old who now holds a seat in the European Parliament, and two of his associates lost their immunity from prosecution earlier this year. They failed to get a court to restore it in July. Mr Puigdemont and a number of his separatist colleagues fled to Belgium in October, 2017, fearing arrest after holding an independence referendum for Catalonia that the Spanish courts and government said was illegal. From waste to resource. Can Recycling Co. 2 help Saudi Arabia go green? Black, viscous and millions of years old, crude oil is never far from controversy. But given its component parts go into everything from life-saving pacemakers to the toiletries we use every day, it's a valuable resource that for now at least we can't afford not to use. Now, a country that's synonymous with petroleum is driving the shift to transform waste from oil production into even more useful resources in the hope that it can drastically reduce the environmental impact in the process. Saudi Arabia is home to the second largest crude oil reserves in the world after Venezuela. And in 2020 the latest data available from the U.S. Energy Information Administration it was the second largest oil producer, behind only the United States, with an output that equated to just over 11 million barrels a day, although this figure included crude oil, all other petroleum liquids, and biofuels. Despite its economy being largely dependent on the oil industry, 
the country has committed to generating 50% of its electricity from natural gas and renewable sources as part of its ambitious Vision 2030 plan. As part of the Saudi Green Initiative, it's also aiming to reduce carbon emissions by more than 4% of global contributions through multiple initiatives, including the planting of carbon-sinking mangrove forests. To reduce its carbon footprint further, Saudi Arabia is now investing in carbon capture, utilization and storage CUS, projects that turn carbon dioxide into useful and saleable products. Creating energy-efficient polyols The majority of CUS projects are currently underway in Europe and the US, with the Middle East, Australia, China, South Korea and New Zealand still catching up. Saudi Aramco, the kingdom's national oil company, is currently the main investor behind CUS projects in the country. It owns a 70% stake in Sabic, the petrochemical company that built one of the world's largest carbon capture and utilization plants. And back in 2016, Aramco acquired the technology for Converge, a petrochemical operation capable of turning captured CO2 into industrial-grade polyols. These chemical compounds can be used to make coatings for household appliances, packaging as well as consumer and industrial adhesives. The resulting products also have applications in the automotive and medical industries. Converge's technology can create polyols with increased adhesion and tensile strength in modest reaction conditions, meaning the process takes place at just above room temperature rather than the high energy and high emissions processes seen elsewhere in the petrochemical industry. And thanks to their increased strengths, the polyols are also more durable and offer better adhesive properties when they are made into products and used in the real world. Aramco has also been working on capture, storage and transport solutions for passenger cars as well as trucks. They have already demonstrated that it's possible for vehicles to capture CO2 from their exhaust systems, which can then be taken to recycling plants to process into new materials or energy. This process is known as Mobile Carbon Capture, MCC. While deployment of the technology is still in its infancy, the results are already promising. At the end of 2019, it showcased a truck that was able to capture 40% of CO2 from its exhaust pipe. Reusing CO2 to reduce emissions. Carbon capturing and recycling is happening at the energy production stage too. At the Hoi gas plant in eastern Saudi Arabia, Aramco is capturing up to 40 million standard cubic feet of CO2 every day it's enough to fill 440 Olympic-sized swimming pools. That CO2 is piped 85 kilometers north, to Aramco's Uthmani oil field. There, it's used to help maintain pressure in the reservoir and improve oil recovery, which in turn reduces carbon emissions in the oil production process and reduces operational costs. Carbon in the drinks industry. Strides in CO2 recycling are also starting to be made outside of the energy industry. As part of a unique partnership, gas manufacturer Gulf Creo Saudi is capturing and cleaning emissions from the boilers of Saudi drinks company Sibco. The resulting beverage grade CO2 is then used to carbonate Sibco's drinks while reducing its carbon footprint at the same time. As much as 96 metric tons of CO2 will be recycled this way every single day. Challenges of CUS projects CUS projects are not without their challenges, though. For Saudi Arabia, although it started investing in CUS projects in 2015, the industry is still in relative infancy compared to early adopters such as the US. There's limited investment which could change if there's significant growth in the market for products made from these recycled gases. An increase in investment might not be too far in the distance given the drive towards more sustainable solutions in the kingdom as part of the Saudi Green Initiative. And there is already a tangible roadmap. The Oil and Gas Climate Initiative, a CEO-led group, ISK biggest threat to Afghanistan's national security, 
say Taliban commanders. Afghanistan's branch of the Islamic State group poses the most serious security threat to the new Taliban regime, Taliban commanders who have fought the jihadists have said. Woe commanders with extensive experience fighting the group appeared to reject the Taliban government's reassurances that there is little threat from the group. Both said that, during their time fighting Islamic State, they had considered its militants a tougher adversary than the former Afghan government's forces. Their comments came as the Taliban's chief spokesman downplayed the risk from the group even after it claimed responsibility for a string of bombings around Jalalabad that killed eight people at the weekend. Zabirullah Mujahid said the Afghan affiliate of Islamic State, known as Islamic State Khorazan, ISK, had no significant presence. The ISIS that exists in Iraq and Syria does not exist here he told a press conference on Tuesday. Still, some people who may be our own Afghans have adopted the ISIS mentality, which is a phenomenon that the people do not support. The group first arrived in 2014 and quickly made inroads in eastern Afghanistan and several northern provinces. It grew via defections from militant groups, including the Pakistani and Afghan Taliban. The Afghan Taliban waged bloody campaigns against the militants. They put up much more in resistance than Afghan army. I think for the Taliban leadership, in terms of security they are the number one threat said Mujahid al-Rahman, a Taliban leader from Ghazni who has fought in a specialist anti-ISK unit. He said he had repeatedly fought the group near Tora Bora in Nungar province, facing suicide bombers and stiff resistance, adding, they put up much more in resistance than the Afghan army. While ISK had lost much of its territory, the group had dangerous sleeper cells and was likely to wage an urban terrorist campaign and sectarian attacks on Afghan Shia Muslims, the commander predicted. At the moment they are hiding, but I think they will follow the Taliban's own tactics in Kabul and other cities. For Taliban fighting with a visible ISIS, it is easy to attack them but fighting with an invisible ISIS is a challenge for the Taliban regime he said. I think they will attack our Shia brothers and, of course, now it is the Taliban's responsibility to fight them to secure Afghan national security. They are evil and should not be ignored. Another commander called Kazi, from Kuna said he had fought his K-militants in the province's mountains as recently as early last month. They are well-trained fighters and they put up much more solid resistance than the previous government's soldiers. They are well-equipped and have suicide bombers like us. They are now scared and scattered by the Taliban, but they will remain for a while. It will take some time to end ISIS in Afghanistan. The Taliban will keep watching ISIS as a priority. They are evil and should not be ignored. Meanwhile, the Taliban also claimed girls' education would be resumed as soon as possible but gave no timescale. Hundreds of thousands of secondary school girls are currently being kept at home, in an echo of the Taliban's 1990s ban on female education. Boys, however, have been allowed to resume their studies. The work is continuing over the issues of education and work of women and girls Mr Mujahid said. More time is needed, instructions on how to deal with their work, their services and their education are needed because the system has changed and an Islamic system is in place. Homeless man faces seven years in prison over theft of 43 cent drink. A homeless man in Pennsylvania is facing the prospect of seven years in prison for failing to pay 43 cents for a bottle of Mountain Dew. 38-year-old Joseph Soboliuski was at a convenience store in Perry County in August when he put $2 on the counter for a bottle of Mountain Dew that was advertised as two bottles for $3 and walked out. However, apparently unbeknownst to Soboliuski, the price for a single bottle of the beverage was $2.29 plus tax, meaning he was 43 cents short of the fee, reports Penlive. 
the police were called by the store who arrested Soboliuski and charged the homeless man under the state's three-strikes law for retail theft. Over a decade ago, Soboliuski was reportedly arrested for a theft and again in 2011 for stealing some shoes. Under the three-strikes law, the value of the third theft is not taken into account, meaning Soboliuski faces a potential jail sentence over a debt of 43 cents. Sign up to our free Indie 100 weekly newsletter The Viral Democracy. Soboliuski's bail was initially posted at $50,000 but, on appeal by his public defender, was later changed to unsecured meaning he was able to be released without providing the money to the court. It is unclear if the charges will remain as there needs to be proof that he intended to commit a crime, as opposed to it being a genuine mistake or misunderstanding. In Pennsylvania, a felony conviction can result from the three strikes law, which some say disproportionately affects those living in poverty, those with mental health issues and those experiencing addiction. Nissa Taylor, Criminal Justice Policy Counsel for the Aclue of Pennsylvania, told York Daily Record, it's unnecessary. This isn't benefiting public safety. People do not need to be incarcerated for seven years from taking small amounts from stores. Mountain goat kills grizzly bear in Canada. A mountain goat in Canada reportedly turned the tables of predator and prey on a grizzly bear, goring it to death in a national park in British Columbia, officials say. The incident, described by wildlife officials as a rare occurrence, came to light after the remains of a female grizzly bear were found at Yoho National Park, according to local reports. A hiker spotted the bear carcass on 4 September, just meters off the Burgess Pass Trail a nearly 13-kilometers trail located near field at Yoho National Park, newspaper Rocky Mountain Outlook Today first reported on 16 September. A goat's sharp horns had pierced the 70 kilograms bear's armpits and a spot under its neck, leading to its death, according to a forensic necropsy conducted by officials. David Laskin, a wildlife ecologist with Lake Louise, Yoho and Kutene National Park Field Unit, said the necropsy determined that the female grizzly bear died of natural causes, which is due to an unsuccessful predation attempt of a mountain goat. The predation of mountain goats by grizzly bears is relatively common he said. In this particular incident, however, the mountain goat was successful in this instance and turned the tables on the grizzly he added. The mountain goats are big animals and those horns are very sharp Mr. Laskin explained. When grizzly bears attack, they tend to focus on the head, back of the neck and the shoulders of the prey, and it's usually from above, so in turn. The defensive response of the mountain goat would be to protect itself using its sharp horns Mr. Laskin was quoted as saying by RMO today. He added that the forensic necropsy confirmed that the wounds incurred before death were consistent with the size and shape of mountain goat horns. Any other cause including any human involvement was subsequently ruled out. Steve Cote, a mountain goat expert and professor at Quebec's Laval University told RMO today that grizzly bears can be significant predators of mountain goats. Goats can kill a bear, but this remains a rare event. All they need is a good horn jab well placed he said. Officials said there was no evidence that the female grizzly bear had any cubs. It weighed only about 70 kilograms, while large male mountain goats can go up to 125 kilograms. Parks Canada officials said they could not identify the mountain goat that killed the bear because it was not tagged. The officials had to remove the bear carcass to prevent it from attracting other wildlife. Carcasses attract carnivores and other wildlife that may act aggressively to protect their food source. That may pose a risk to visitors in the area Mr. Laskin said. In 2018, a nanny mountain goat tagged for research purposes was apparently killed and eaten by a grizzly bear just below the tree line near Sherbrooke Lake at Yoho National Park near its border with Banff National Park.
Yoho National Park spans about 1,300 square kilometer and is located in British Columbia, west of the famed Banff National Park. The news story has attracted a large number of reactions on social media. One user said, holy cow, that's some nature is metal type stuff. Another said, I didn't realize mountain goats were strong enough to do that. Early launch of Nord Stream 2 could balance EU gas market and stop price surge Kremlin. The current sharp rise in gas prices in Europe has nothing to do with Russia, but the launch of the newly constructed Nord Stream 2 pipeline may stabilize the energy market, presidential spokesman Dmitry Peskov says. Undoubtedly, the early commissioning of Nord Stream 2 will significantly balance the price parameters for natural gas in Europe, including on the physical market. This is obvious the official said, commenting on the unprecedented rise in European gas prices over the past 24 hours. He stressed that given the current low storage volumes of the commodity, Europe is likely to need more gas than it currently receives, and to need it soon. The demand for gas is great, besides, it is still unclear what the winter will be like, if it is cold, then, of course, even more gas will be needed Peskov stated. Simple recipes from foods already in the store cupboard. Cooking from the larder. It's amazing the amount of great dishes you can conjure up from your pantry, without needing access to fresh ingredients. Hopefully you'll have a few essentials in your freezer too. You'll be surprised at how simple it can be to create really great food from everyday items. These are our best recipes you can make from store cupboard essentials. Corn fritters. Corn fritters, made with canned sweet corn, make a great breakfast, brunch or light meal. They are a quick and easy savory base for poached eggs and salmon, or if you're more limited with fresh foods, serve with fried corned beef or tomato chutney. If you don't have fresh eggs, dried egg white powder, which you reconstitute, will do the job to bind the mixture together before frying. Corn fritters with lox and poached eggs. A cross between a fritter and a pancake, these make a quick and easy savory base for salmon and poached eggs. Ingredients. Metric. 1 egg. 120 ml full fat milk. 85 g plain flour. 0.5 teaspoon baking powder 145 g corn kernels, fresh or drained from a can 1 pinch salt and freshly ground pepper 4 tablespoon vegetable oil 4 poached eggs and 4 slices of lox, or smoked salmon, for serving 1 egg 4.2 fluid ounces full fat milk 3 ounces plain flour 0.5 teaspoon baking powder 5.1 ounces corn kernels, fresh or drained from a can 1 pinch salt and freshly ground pepper 4 tablespoon vegetable oil 4 poached eggs and 4 slices of lox, or smoked salmon, for serving 1 egg 0.5 cup full fat milk 3 ounces plain flour 0.5 teaspoon baking powder 5.1 ounces corn kernels, fresh or drained from a can 1 pinch salt and freshly ground pepper 4 tablespoon vegetable oil 4 poached eggs and 4 slices of lox, or smoked salmon, for serving Recipe type, brunch Difficulty, easy Preparation time, 10 minutes Cooking time 20 minutes. Serves, 4. Step by step. Have your poached eggs and slices of lox or smoked salmon ready to go the fritters don't take long. In a medium bowl, whisk the egg and milk. Slowly add the flour and baking powder and whisk until smooth. Stir in the corn and season with salt and pepper. Heat the oil in a cast iron skillet over medium high heat. Test if the oil is ready to fry by adding a small drop of batter into the oil. If it sizzles, it is ready. Spoon about 60 ml forward slash 2 flaws of the batter into the oil to form around 2 fritters in at a time. Lightly fry on both sides until golden, 
about two minutes per side. Transfer to paper towels to drain. Repeat with the remaining batter. Serve the corn fritters topped with lox and poached eggs. Pasta Puttanisca. With not a fresh ingredient in sight, unless you have fresh herbs to hand, Pasta Puttanisca is one of the ultimate pantry recipes. It's best with a long pasta, like spaghetti or linguine, and all you need for the sauce is canned tomatoes, capers, olives, anchovies, dried chili flakes and olive oil. Gino di Accompose Linguine alla Puttanisca. A plate of pasta is the ultimate fast food dish. This recipe can be a quick meal or as a course for a dinner party. Ingredients. Metric. 500 g linguine. 8 anchovies fillets in oil, drained and chopped. 800 g tinned cherry tomatoes. 1 clove of garlic, peeled and finely sliced. 100 g kalamata pitted olives, cut in half. 50 g capers in salt, rinsed under cold water. 6 tablespoon olive oil. 0.5 teaspoon dried chili flakes. 1 pinch salt to taste. 17.6 ounces linguine. 8 anchovies fillets in oil, drained and chopped. 28.2 ounces tinned cherry tomatoes. 1 clove of garlic, peeled and finely sliced. 3.5 ounces kalamata pitted olives, cut in half. 1.8 ounce capers in salt, rinsed under cold water. 6 tablespoon olive oil. 0.5 teaspoon dried chili flakes. 1 pinch salt to taste. 17.6 ounces linguine. 8 anchovies fillets in oil, drained and chopped. 28.2 ounces tinned cherry tomatoes. 1 clove of garlic, peeled and finely sliced. 3.5 ounces kalamata pitted olives, cut in half. 1.8 ounce capers in salt, rinsed under cold water. The aim is to scare you. Nationwide scam warning as Britons duped into investigation. Nationwide is a popular building society helping Britons save money each year, but it also has a responsibility to protect its customers, and regularly issues warnings about scams. Unfortunately, scams have become more common, especially during the COVID-19 crisis and many Britons are now aware of false text messages which could be a way of making them part with their money. However, scammers are developing new techniques in order to dodge the public's knowledge and continue to target unsuspecting victims. Nationwide is a popular building society helping Britons save money each year but it also has a responsibility to protect its customers, and regularly issues warnings about scams. Unfortunately, scams have become more common, especially during the COVID-19 crisis and many Britons are now aware of false text messages which could be a way of making them part with their money. However, scammers are developing new techniques in order to dodge the public's knowledge, and continue to target unsuspecting victims. One increasingly common way of doing so is through an endeavor which is being referred to as a police impersonation scam. This type of scam involves an elaborate, yet surprisingly convincing, backstory which is formulated by criminals in order to lead individuals into a false sense of security. Cyber criminals often cold call individuals pretending to be the police. On occasion, they may spoof real police numbers in order to add legitimacy to their claims. Nationwide explains the caller will then tell Britons their local bank branch is currently issuing counterfeit notes, evidently a serious matter. The supposed police officer then informs the person their assistance will be needed to help with an undercover investigation of the matter. Nationwide said, the aim of the scam is to scare you and trick you into parting with your money by withdrawing cash or buying high-cost items. This could create serious financial damage for individuals who inadvertently become involved with the scam, thinking they are doing a good deed. The crux of the matter, and how scammers are able to get away with it, was stressed by the building society. As the alleged investigation is deemed to be an undercover matter, 
This is how the criminals convince their victims not to tell anyone, especially the subject of the supposed crime, the local nationwide branch of the individual concerned. Instances of this type of scam can involve Britons being asked to make purchases, withdraw cash or make transfers in a supposed effort to check their bank branch is not undertaking criminal activity. But ironically, it is the person concerned that ultimately becomes the victim, with many standing to lose significant sums of money. In some cases, criminals could even trick a person further by sending out a courier to collect cards pins or valuable items. Often these individuals can be extremely convincing, and will play on fear and panic they instill into innocent members of the public, using a wide variety of techniques to dupe people. Nationwide has said it will never ask for a person's card or pin, or indeed ask them to withdraw money or buy items on their behalf. This is also the case, the building society stressed for the police or any other genuine organization. It urged Britons never to hand over money or bank cards, or make purchases following calls they receive out of the blue. The organization Take 5 to Stop Fraud cited an example of a man who was contacted about a supposed undercover police operation. Damon, not the individual's real name, was instructed to make a large withdrawal from his account which would then be handed over to the police for analysis. Believing he would receive his money back after the investigation, Damon handed his money over to people he believed represented the police. But once this transfer was made, he never heard back from the supposed police officer ever again. As a result then, Britons are being urged to remain on their guard to protect themselves against becoming a scammer's next victim. Those who believe they may have fallen for such a scam are told to contact their bank or building society immediately on a number they know to be correct. This could be obtained on the back of one's bank card, on a bank statement, or through the provider's official website. People can report the matter to the police by calling 101, and can also raise the issue with Action Fraud, the National Cybercrime and Fraud Reporting Service. From ash to acid rain, seven dangers of the volcanic eruption in La Palma. Juana Costa Rodriguez, a resident of Las Indias in La Palma, in Spain's Canary Islands, was the only official victim of the eruption at Teneguilla on 26 October 1971 the last one on record on the island until last Sunday, when a new eruption took place in the area. He died from inhaling toxic gases in the area of Los Percholes. It is suspected that this was also linked to the cause of death of photographer Heriberto Felipe Hernandez, from Santa Cruz de la Palma, who died in hospital with poisoning symptoms after going to the affected area on several excursions. Both were victims of one of the main dangers identified by Spain's National Geographic Institute, IGN. Following a volcanic eruption, lava flows, ash, pyroclastic flow, gas emission, lahars, landslides and tsunamis. One lava flows. This is the magma that has reached the surface during a volcanic eruption and flows effusively away from the vent. The more viscous it is, the less distance the flow will travel, but the thicker it will be. If it is more fluid, the lava flow, being less thick can cover great expanses. Speaking about the eruption in La Palma, Mariano Hernandez Zapata, the president of the island council, explained, a lava flow measuring six meters tall is literally eating up the houses, infrastructure and crops that it is finding on its path toward the coast in the valley of Aradane. So far, more than a hundred homes have been swallowed up by the lava flows in the wake of the eruption in La Palma which began on Sunday. Scientists studying the situation estimate that the lava flow will enter the sea from the coast of Tazarcourt, possibly from Playa Nuevo Beach in Los Cuers. 2. Ash The Canary Islands Volcano Emergency Plan, Pevolca, has warned that ash being spewed out from the volcano in the Cabitha de Vaca area of Cumba Vija National Park could cause injuries to respiratory airways eyes and open injuries as well as skin irritation. For this reason, 
Pavolka recommends against exposure to ash. According to the IGN, during an explosive eruption, a mix of gases and pyroclasts, solid fragments of volcanic material, is released into the atmosphere. Molten bombs are larger fragments that are ejected like bullets from the center of emission, but have less reach, of just a few kilometers. The rest of the particles are lifted up by volcanic gases and create a cloud, which can become a convective plume stretching tens of kilometers. When the density of gases and particles is the same as the surrounding atmosphere, it begins to rain ash, which is dispersed by the wind and turbulence, and can cover enormous areas, spanning up to thousands of square meters and reaching meters in depth. With respect to the volcano on La Palma, if a more intense explosive phase is generated, the ash could reach a larger area and affect, for example, the airport. But we have to wait to see its progress explains Joan Marti, a volcanologist and head of the Geosciences Barcelona group at Spain's National Research Center CSIC. 3. Pyroclastic Flow If the plume created by an explosive eruption does not have enough energy or is less dense than the surrounding atmosphere, a collapse happens, creating dense flows that mix high-temperature gases and solid particles up to 700 C, and travel at very high speeds, up to 550 km per hour. When these flows are more diluted, their movement is more turbulent and they are called pyroclastic waves. We'll use jail to end motorway chaos, say Preeti Patel and Grant Shapps. Every year, millions of people join legal, peaceful demonstrations in this country to promote a cause they believe in without harming the public or the environment around them. They have a right to do so. But the insulate Britain activists who have brought large sections of the M25 to a standstill in recent weeks have achieved the precise opposite. They have broken the law, undermined the cause they believe in, alienated the public, and created extra pollution, in one of the most self-defeating environmental protests this country has ever seen particularly as we all strive so hard to rebuild after 18 months of the pandemic. Transport is so crucial to that recovery. With every day that passes, our roads and railways are helping more businesses to grow, and more people to find jobs. Punishing motorists to make a point about home insulation makes absolutely no sense at all. As one van driver caught up in the chaos told a protester, you are making people hate you. The police have our full support to take decisive action and we're working with national highways to take legal action against the protesters to ensure they cannot keep disrupting and endangering people's lives in this way. We are giving them powers to better manage such guerrilla tactics in future. In the medium term, the police, crime, sentencing and courts bill will put public nuisance on a statutory footing ensuring there are appropriate sentences for the harm caused. People will continue to be able to make their voices heard without disrupting the lives of others. Even before the most recent demonstrations, the Metropolitan Police said that the actions of Extinction Rebellion of which Insulate Britain is an offshoot had cost the UK taxpayer a staggering £50 million. The events of recent weeks including the cleaning of blue paint which protesters pointlessly poured onto the road will add to that already significant drain on public funds. It is also ironic that many of the cars that have been caught up in the queues and congestion around the M25 are electric, with zero carbon emissions. There are now over half a million such cars in the UK, benefiting from one of the largest rapid charging networks in Europe. While Insulate Britain inflicts misery in its campaign of gesture politics, this government is getting on with the job of decarbonizing our transport system by 2050. Thousands of new charge points will encourage motorists to go electric in the coming decade as we phase out diesel and petrol. It is changes like this that make the difference, not posturing by a tiny minority who are arrogant enough to believe only they care about climate change. We all agree that climate change must be tackled. 
But this sort of behavior achieves nothing. It puts drivers at risk and idling cars actually increase pollution. While this group of eco-warriors parade for the cameras, we are getting on with the job of delivering our ambitious targets. We will not stand by and allow a small minority of selfish demonstrators to cause massive and dangerous disruption to the lives of the hard-working majority. As Bojo prepares Britain for another winter of Covid restrictions, it's still not enough for the hardliners. The UK government's winter plan for Covid is likely to mean the attempted introduction of vaccine passports and more lockdowns. It's all a far cry from the freedom we were promised would come with mass vaccination. Suppose someone had told you back in March, 2020, that, 18 months later, despite two-thirds of the population being double vaccinated, Britain would be facing the prospect of another depressing autumn and winter of Covid restrictions and lockdowns. Well, there were people back then who warned such things would happen that life would never be allowed to get back to the old normal and that the governing, globalist elite was working to a different plan that had little to do with countering a virus. These people were denounced as conspiracy theorists and crackpots. Yet, after Prime Minister Boris Johnson's unveiling of yesterday's winter plan for England, it seems the conspiracy theorists and crackpots have got it right once again. Planner is learning to live with Covid. But this doesn't mean living totally normally. There will still be border restrictions. We'll still be urged some would say coerced to get the booster jab and to have our kids vaccinated too, even though, less than a fortnight ago, the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization didn't recommend it. We'll still be encouraged to wear masks in certain settings. Yet for all its downsides, Life under planner is still better than the alternative, plan B. This toolkit includes the return of mandatory masks, and the introduction of jab-only vaccine passports for large events, which could be extended to other gatherings too. And, most revealingly of all, further lockdowns are not ruled out, despite the disastrous impact they have had on both the economy and on society. Let's be clear what we are dealing with here. It's psychological warfare on an industrial scale. The semblance of normality that Planner gives us can be withdrawn at very short notice and Plan B or parts of it will be put into operation if cases surge and the NHS comes under unsustainable pressure. But the NHS comes under pressure every winter, meaning Plan B is actually Planner. Plan B is clearly what the government really wants to implement, but Johnson knows that. To keep disgruntled Tory backbenchers on side, he can't do so straight away. Hospitals are nearly always close to capacity in December and January. Inevitably, once the flu-forward-slash-cold season starts up again in October, and with mass testing still in place, we'll see a rise in cases, which will then see Johnson reach for his toolkit. That will be preceded by the usual doom-laden and ludicrously over-the-top predictions from modelers and advisers of what will happen if the Prime Minister fails to act. Something must be done, will be the cry from those who will lose nothing financially from another lockdown. In fact, the calls for an immediate return of restrictions have already begun. A headline on the BBC News website reads, Hospital Covid cases may see big jump say experts. The piece refers to how the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies, SAGE, committee modelling suggested hospitalisation could reach 2,000 to 7,000 per day next month. We've been here before. Lots of times. Only a few months ago, there were dire predictions from modellers and experts of what would happen if restrictions were lifted in England in July. A member of Independent Sage which is even more hardline than Sage said the UK could face cases of more than 100,000 a day if lockdown easing went ahead. Well, lockdown easing did go ahead, and guess what? Cases fell. From 43,910 cases, on a seven-day average, on the 16th of July to 23,002 by the end of the month. We're meant, though 
to have the memory of a gnat and to have forgotten how wrong the modelers have consistently been, and to be terrified once again by their latest predictions, which make private Fraser of 1970s sitcom Dad's Army fame whose catchphrase was we're doomed. Sound like the world's greatest optimist. With all the sensationalist cases set to surge this autumn unless restrictions are reimposed headlines, I expect that, straight after next month's Tory party conference and after the Coronavirus Act has been renewed for another six months Johnson will reach for his toolkit and bring back mandatory masks. Then, a few weeks after that, it'll be accept jab-only vaccine passports or we'll have to do another lockdown. But hang on a minute, weren't the vaccines meant to put an end to all of this? 15 million jabs to freedom was the famous headline in the Daily Mail last the 27th of December. Yet with 66% of the population double vaxxed and around 90% of those deemed the most vulnerable having had their jabs we have more cases and deaths with Covid than we did this time last year, when no one was vaccinated. How come? On Good Morning Britain, Richard Madeley, a proper old-school journalist asked this emperor's new clothes question to Dr. Hilary Jones. Jones struggled to answer and kept muttering about cases being higher this year. But if the vaccines work so well, and so many people have been vaccinated, why are we even talking of having more restrictions this autumn and winter? Either the vaccines work or they don't. If they work then there's no need to discuss restrictions. If they don't, then why push them? The government line is we need more jabs and a toolkit of restrictions too. More lockdowns as a last resort if cases surge, to protect the NHS. And vaccine passports too without a negative test or prior infection option even though we know the vaccines don't prevent transmission. Like the autumn and winter of 2020-21, this coming winter of discontent, of fear and dread, and restrictions being imposed or reimposed at a moment's notice, is meant to be our new normal. Which means his will only end when people realize it's never meant to end. We are asking for your support. You can make your donations on our website www.misty101.com on podcast page. We hope that you have enjoyed the show. We thank you for being with us and your support. Goodbye till next time.